global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Personal spending increasing at 10% in February in the prior month's advance was revised down as Americans saved more of their incomes. Incomes rose to 10%, pushing the savings rate to a one-year high. U.S. stock index futures are advancing following equities' first weekly decline in six amid data showing slow but steady increases in consumer spending. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up four points, Dow E-mini futures up 25, and NASDAQ E-mini futures up 12. Ten-year Treasury, little change, yield 1.90%. The yield on the two-year, 0.86%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.1%, or 44 cents, to 39.90 a barrel. COMEX gold is down two tenths percent, or two dollars fifty cents, to 12.21 an ounce. The euro, a dollar 11.76. The yen, 113.35. An NTT data, a unit of Japan's former telephone monopoly, agreeing to buy technology services businesses from Dell. For about $3.1 billion. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Futures deteriorated up nine earlier, now up four. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Ramesh Panuru, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Last week, President Barack Obama and his allies celebrated the sixth anniversary of the passage of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. The law has brought financial security to millions of Americans by expanding insurance coverage. But it has not covered as many Americans as originally projected. And much of that coverage has come through Medicaid, which gives recipients 20 to 40 cents of benefits for every dollar it spends. People with employer coverage, meanwhile, have found their financial security declining as Obamacare contributes to large increases in their deductibles. The Congressional Budget Office says that the law is having a negative effect on jobs. All in all, Obamacare was a badly designed law. We could have achieved gains in insurance coverage without Obamacare's regulation-heavy approach. People who did not have access to employer health plans could have been given enough money to buy a policy that protected them at least against catastrophic expenses. Modest regulatory changes could have been made to make it easier for people with pre-existing conditions to get coverage, too. Instead, we got a law that most Americans don't like and is not working very well. I'm Ramesh Panuru. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. There was a book list this weekend out on Business Insider. I thank them for that. They had Mark Halperin and John Heilman on the list. Their political book, Game Change, look for them 5 p.m., with all due respect. Barry Ritholtz with me. McKee's off. Uh, this week, Michael McKee's exhausted after his James Bullard interview. Exhausted. So Barry Ritholtz is here. Barry, one of the books on the list was The Intelligent Investor, Ben Graham and Jason Y. giving it a freshener here recently. And in the beginning of the book, they brilliantly parse the defensive investor. What is a defensive investor versus an enterprising investor? That's an interesting question. Uh, The defensive investor is somebody who's more concerned with preservation of capital than they are with growth. And there are some positives and negatives uh, to a defensive portfolio. It's less volatile, but our natural risk aversion prevents us from taking advantage of the benefits of risk. Risk has upside. 
you, you don't get upside without taking on more risk. Over X amount of years, I'll let you tell me, 10, 15, 3, whatever the number is, does a defensive investor and the enterprising investor end up on the same point? On the no, you, they clearly don't. The, in any given year, any portfolio can outperform any other. And, in fact, if you look at the total returns, go to the peak in, in March 2000, here it is. It's 16 years later. You're barely up a percent or two a year on average. Now, think about what that means for somebody who is about to retire. That it's a decade and a half of not seeing a whole lot of gains, not counting uh, treasury yields and, and dividends. However, when you're thinking about a longer-term perspective, when you're thinking about how much money you need to retire on, you have to embrace some degree of risk. You have to take on some of the volatility. Without risk and volatility, there are no gains. And I would think the great feature here, a la Ibbotson, and I'll let you can tell me the percentage, is the predictability of predictable cash flows is the heart of the debate. That's in the linear regression. That's the coefficient that matters. When, when you talk about linear regression, that's a, a, and mean reversion essentially. That is the key to everything. Everything we've talked about today on the show. Economics, we've talked about the dollar. Well, the dollar was really strong. Now it's sort of plateauing. We've talked about emerging markets underperforming for periods of time. Uh, the gentleman was here from Gabelli, talked about seven fat years, seven lean years. All those things simply mean uh, this too shall pass. What's strong today is likely to not be strong in yeah, the future, be, and what's weak today is likely to come back. I mean, you look at one of the dog of dogs that has been out there, IBM. The fact is, and I don't know their share buyback, but it's a 3.5% yield with a 14% dividend increase. Now, you have to be careful when you look at individual stocks. It was unthinkable that Bear Stearns or Citigroup or AIG or Lehman could, you know, practically go bankrupt or in Lehman's case go bankrupt. But any individual stock can go to zero. But when we talk about mean reversion and asset classes – uh, emerging market stocks, they're, they're having a bad five years. They're not going to go to zero. Same thing with, with fixed income, with tips, with any asset class could really get beat up. But mean reversion means the worse any given asset class is doing, the more likely it's some unthinkable distance in the future, three, five, seven years, they're going to be the outperformer because there's value there. They're cheap, and we know eventually they're going to revert back to their mean. I, I just I, I go back to whether it's fixed income or equities, this new awareness of the coupon, whether it's the yield coupon mm -hmm. or the equity coupon, is tangible. I mean, the idea with a share buyback, uh, 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 Tobias was talking earlier about those that repeatedly buy back shares. If you can calculate that coupon or pseudo coupon, you're getting January 1st from a given company, that really helps things, doesn't it? A decade of zero interest has made people more aware of the fact that it's not just absolute price, it's price plus, meaning price plus dividend, price plus coupon, price plus yield. Uh, some people even call this shareholder yield, which is a combination of dividends and buybacks. Okay, let's take a very successful stock, Dan, her DHR, which over the last 10 years, 11.2% uh, has been... 
uh, per year uh, return over 20 years. It's 16.2%. For Danaher, how do you look at an annual report and find the next or find your Danaher? That's that's the challenge. That's and, the and here's here's the really fascinating aspect of this. Everybody more or less has access to the exact same public information. So if you think that just pulling down the, the company report, looking at earnings, looking at a couple of analyst research notes is going to get you there, it's not. You have to, pardon the uh, grammatical error uh, that I'm borrowing from Apple, you must think different. You must have a thesis if you want to outperform. And I'm a big fan of having the bulk of your portfolio just take what the market gives you. But if you want to outperform, you have to be outside the box. You have to be thinking in a way that everyone else isn't. Otherwise, if everybody thinks alike, they're going to perform alike. So why Danaher as opposed to the hot, sexy name? This is not exactly the sexiest name uh, in the marketplace, but you look at those returns, they're clearly yeah. doing something I right. I would state and, and respond here, please, one of the distinctive features of the little guy owning stocks and being able to sleep with it is to own companies that have a focus but do many things. Danaher is, or others is not a one-item one company, and, and not the other, a one-idea company. You mentioned sleep at night. We, we did a study in the office when we looked at Apple for the past 30 years. And you did Apple's, a study about why I'm dozing off? Uh, no. A- Apple is one of the most amazing returns over time. But the takeaway from our analysis was that the average individual investor would not be able to hold Apple through the three drawdowns of more than 50%, the repeated 20 and 30% shellackings, it's the sort of thing that gives people agita. And a lot of people have said, look, I made some money in Apple, but I can't, I, I don't want to give it all back and I can't deal with this up and down. Get me out of here. And, and that's a very typical individual mm-hmm. perspective because they're, everything they've seen, everything they've learned is that I'm really uncomfortable looking stupid when all my profits go away. Yeah. And how many times has that happened with other names as well? Look at Microsoft. Yeah, with Apple at 105, if I do a 20-year chart and I grab the moonshot, let's call it the iPod, iPhone moonshot. Starting 01 from, or uh, so. I went to 05-ish. Okay. <laughs> Basically, the center tendency is exactly where we are right now. One standard deviation is $96, $97 a share, and one standard deviation up to 123 look, So it's directly at, on trend. Look at those massive pullbacks. Yeah, you, you way saw over one, one in the standard deviation. Late 90s, yeah. you saw it? You saw yeah, it in the early 2000 5.7. I can't own it at 57. It, unbelievable. Yeah. Barry Ritholtz with us a little bit there on personal financial planning. We don't do enough of that. It's good to do that with Mr. Ritholtz. Tomorrow, Yellen speaks at the Economic Club of New York. Blinder and Hubbard ask questions. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, everyone. Barry Ritholtz in from Michael McKee. Bloomberg Surveillance on a Monday. Economic Indicators. On this Monday, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network, 
When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Vinny Del Judice has massaged a raft of economic data. Vinny, what do you see? Hello, Tom. Personal income, according to the Commerce Department, up 0.2% in February, a smaller increase than the prior mm. month. The same with personal spending, up 0.1% in February. Uh, actually, that has been revised now, so it's the same as the prior month, up 0.1%. Let's look at inflation. Core PCE year-over-year year, unchanged in February at 1.7%. Again, personal income up 02 income Spending, Tom, I'm getting tongue-tied. It's Monday. Income up 0.2%, spending up 0.1%, PCE core year-over-year, 1.7%. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Tom, back to you. Vinny, look at the revisions. I mean, the revisions get your attention. They're like, they have a certain weight to them, don't they? Well, yes. Um, uh, It doesn't, it looks uh, kind of um, lackluster to be polite. It was like dinner yesterday. Uh, Vinny Del Judice, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate that. Uh, Barry Riddles and Tom Keenan joining us with perspective. Paul Mortimer Lee uh, with BNP Paribas, their North American chief economist, global head of all of market economics. Paul, what's the new run weight for America? One of our themes today. It's not 3%. It's not 3.2%. Don't tell me it's 1.9%. <laughs> we think trends 1.5, but uh, oh, uh, we're above trend at the moment. I mean, you know, this is when the consumer's benefiting from weak uh, gasoline prices. And let's face it, you know, the economy is re- very reliant upon the consumer. Trade's a drag. We saw from durable goods last week investments decreasing, not increasing. And so, therefore, soft consumer is very worrying indeed. Hey, Paul, Barry Ritholtz here. So we just got personal income and personal spending, but the number that stood out to me was the year-over-year inflation number, 1.7%. What does that mean for the Fed? Are are they stuck in neutral? Uh, Are they running out of reasons to raise rates? Uh, What does 1.7% mean for the urgency at which they want to get off of ZERP, get off of a a zero-interest rate policy? I don't think there's any great urgency. The Fed faces asymmetric risks. Um, we're seeing the economy weaken. If it goes and the economy goes into the pit, they, their goose is cooked. Uh, if, however, the inflation rises, well, that's what they're aiming to do. They're aiming to get inflation up. So 1.7 is hardly catastrophic. And after the Fed has run below its 2% target for very, very many years, it shouldn't worry about overshooting a little bit even. Where are our debt dynamics? One of the raging debates, we've already framed it a few times this morning, is the amount of debt overlay that corporations and individuals have. Are we, are we running smarter now, Paul? Well, I, I, think, I think households are probably, by and large, okay. You know, household debt-to-income ratios have come back to trend after a long period of adjustment, and borrowing has been very uh, weak. But what the Fed's done is, is stimulate corporate borrowing. Um, there's some parallels between, you know, the run-up to the 2000-2001 recession. Uh, but it's not the same because corporations have not over-invested. What they've done is over-leveraged and built up their debt, bought back their equity to keep um, earnings per share going going up. 
Uh, but that leaves them in quite a, a difficult okay. position because earnings are, profits are getting squeezed, and many of them have too much debt. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing weak investment, and presumably at some stage they'll start to hire less. But their coupon is low, right? I mean, they got such a nominal, low nominal and low real yield, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, although the spread's gone up, the actual uh, rate at which they're borrowing is quite low. And one of the good things about um, the, this borrowing spree that we've seen, both for corporations and emerging markets, is that the maturity of the debt is very long. And so they're not fa- facing big rollover risk. Um, you know, you, you hurt a lot if your profits are going down and you have to refinance your debt when uh, the market's closed. That's not happening. And so I don't think we should get too uh, worried about the corporate position, but it is definitely going to be a break on, on, on investment. And, you know, the main driver mm-hmm. of investment at the end of the day is profits. And profits are not going anywhere. And if the consumer's slowing and uh, global inflation remains low, it's going to be very difficult to build margins. In fact, they're going to get squeezed. So in, in light of that, I, I've been hearing people scream about peak profits for seven or nine quarters. Are we in any sort of danger in the, in the last minute and a half that we have? Are we in any sort of danger of really seeing a profit recession, or are we just going to see a little comeback off of, of, off of these high level of profits we've enjoyed the past few years? I think they're going to come back because the, the reason is that the labor market is tight, real wages are going up, and productivity is very poor. And that means squeeze on profits, and I think we're going to face that for several quarters to come. Paul, thank you so much. Paul Mortimer Lee with a briefing this morning. BNP Perry by North American Economist. Barry, you know, I, I look at the numbers that came out, including core PCM month over month, light year over year 1.7. We talked about elevated inflation back to 2%, even above that, looking at Cleveland CPI. But all of that devolves down to personal income and personal spending. I don't think we spend enough time on those two related statistics. Well, they're the key to the entire economy. You want to see income tick up, not just through wage increases, but more people moving up the employment ladder, getting better jobs. And at the same time, we want to see money spent by consumers in ways that are productive overall for the economy. That's been the big wild card, given the changes in sentiment. Yeah, well, I'm looking at uh, Makita's are so much better than me. The personal savings rate went up the last three months. The personal savings rate, 5.0, 5 5.3, 5.4%. That gets your attention. In this hour of Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit VolvoCarsWhitePlains.com. With our news in New York, here's Michael Barr. Tom, Barry, thank you very much. Four more people wounded in last week's terror attacks in Brussels have died. The Belgian minister says the death toll is now 35. Meanwhile, U.S. authorities have confirmed that four Americans were killed in the attacks. Hillary Clinton says Republican presidential rival Donald Trump could roll back the rights of individuals and power corporations and undo some of the nation's progress if he takes the White House. Clinton plans to deliver a speech today in Madison, Wisconsin. Ted Cruz is working Wisconsin ahead of its April 5th primary. It could be key to getting the Republican presidential nomination or increase the chances of a contested convention. Donald Trump is planning his first campaign visit to the state tomorrow. The IRS is warning people to be on the lookout for scammers. Some crooks will call claiming to be from the IRS demanding a huge tax bill. Scott Alexander says his son was on the business end of a con artist. When they said, hey, we're going to come get you, 
that's when it just changed in his mind, and he had to comply. The IRS is urging anyone who gets these calls to just hang up because if they ever want to contact you, it won't be by phone. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom Bear. You can run that IRS story every day of the week. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Report. His bracket's better than my bracket. Wait, everyone's bracket's better than my bracket. Here's John Stashauer. All right, Tommy, at least my alma mater is going to the Final Four, and that was pretty unlikely that Syracuse is heading that way. Nobody really was sure they would even make the field, but a bubble team with 13 losses still alive after coming from 15 down in the last 10 minutes to beat top seed Virginia 68-62. Freshman Malachi Richardson, the hero, 23 points. He didn't make a field goal the first 28 minutes, and Syracuse has dominated the second half throughout the tourney. They're just the fourth double-digit seed to reach the final four. The coaches, Jim Beheim. We got back in it pretty quick, and then when we got the lead, I knew they were beating our press. They, they just weren't finishing, so we felt like let's go back in the zone, make them you know, play from behind. It's a little tougher to make shots when you're behind. We kept playing good off, and we kept getting to the basket and making plays, and uh, I, I'm just so proud of this team. In Houston, they'll play North Carolina. They lost to twice in the regular season. The Tar Heels trailed Notre Dame in the second half and pulled away 88-74. to The season is not over for Columbia, 80-65 to over NJIT. The CIT semifinals, the Lions' 23rd win most since 1951. They'll host UC Irvine in tomorrow's championship game. At the Garden, Rangers got two goals from Eric Stahl, but lost with a half minute left in overtime on a Sidney Crosby goal. Red Hot Pittsburgh won 3-2. The Devils also lost 3-2 at Carolina. And Jason Day, now number one in the world after winning the match play in Austin, Texas. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashow. John, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, and this morning, he's with us all week. Barry Ritholtz coming up. Uh, we'll speak to Mr. Ritholtz about what do you do? I mean, one of the great things about his big picture and his writings for Bloomberg View is less economics, finance, investment. And what do you do? And so much of what do you do centers on foundational not to do's. So we'll start on that next with Barry Ritholtz. Look for his master's in business on Bloomberg Radio. And on iTunes, it's Bloomberg Surveillance. Brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior, legendary 4x4 capability. Drive on at your local Jeep dealer today.